This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today we begin a two-part series on the history and folklore of ghost ships. We'll start by looking at three creepy ship stories involving the SS Orang, the MV Joita, and the Flying Dutchman, which, you'll be disappointed to learn, is not a fancy sex act. We'll talk about what witnesses allegedly experienced, the investigations, and some theories as to what each might be. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you like your podcast to resemble the morning after your last Tinder date, stick around because you're in luck. Tonight's episode features tons of ghosting and a lot of semen. This is Necronomapod. are trying to figure out who's responsible for it and what to do with it. News Channel 5's Paul Kiska live now in Lorraine. Paul, what did you find out today? Well, this 90-foot vessel ran aground on Lorraine's Black River near the mouth where it meets uh, Lake Erie a few years ago. But now officials say it's time for this so-called ghost ship to go. At first, from a distance, it looks like any Great Lakes vessel. But move closer and you realize only the wind passes through its rusty remains. It's what mariners call a ghost ship. Adrift, abandoned, no one knows. It turned up on Lorraine's Black River, not far from Lake Erie, a few years ago. So just earlier uh, today, uh, Dave and I kind of last minute decided that um, before recording, we were going to go get dinner and some uh, some drinks. And we sent uh, Ian a message asking if he wanted to join. And Ian uh, responded, uh, I can't. I'm too sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> And what was going on over at your house? I was playing some Beat Saber with my kids <laughs> on, a, on my son's Oculus. What is Beat Saber? Is that like a Dance Dance Revolution? Kind of mixed with Guitar Hero, kind of. Like the song plays, okay. there's four blocks that come towards you. And they're like uh, up, down, left, right. And then like there's some diagonal ones sometimes. So you have the, the two remotes in your hand and you have to like gotcha. uh, swipe them. 
I thought it was an anti-masturbation device that stopped you from beating off. Beat saver. <laughs> As sold by Ernest Angel. <laughs> it's good workout, though. I can imagine you're working up a sweat over there. Yeah. I burned a few thousand calories. Closed we- all the rings on my uh, Apple Watch every time I play it. Fucking eh. You what? All the? Close all the rings. Like, uh, get uh, all my exercise stuff in. Yeah. And there you go. I got all my pizza in. I was going to say, we put on some calories. <laughs> it's pretty wild when you do a weed and then try to do VR. I, I would imagine that's an experience. Yeah. Like Especially Beat Saber with all like the colors coming at you and shit. <laughs> it's pretty wild. You could do an acid <laughs> and do Beat Saber, well, maybe. Can you do imagine a shroom. doing that? Yeah, I get real into Beat Saber. Clearly. I have it on hard mode now. I haven't been able to get the expert, but I have it on hard. So I'm like going all fucking fast, whipping my arms around. I feel like I checked his text from us and he's like, oh, his forehead glistening with sweat. It stains on his T-shirt. He's like, yeah, I don't need to go up right now. <laughs> I'm going to do a weed and finish my notes up and go do a show. You guys text me like what? 430. And we're like, hey, half hour. Be at the restaurant. Yeah. Like, yeah that's not happening. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how we roll. Yeah, not typically. <laughs> We're not the most spontaneous of people. No. <laughs> this one was. <laughs> you had a good pizza, Dave? All right. Yeah. I had any pasta salad and it was bomb. Sounds good. Been on a salad kick recently. Not healthy salads, but salads nonetheless. <laughs> so counts for me. <laughs> the word salad's in it. It counts. It counts. Hey, can you take that chili dog and cut it up and throw it on some lettuce? It's a salad. <laughs> That's a well-known culinary fact that if you have anything served on a bed of greens, it's a salad. It's a salad. No <laughs> calories then. Yeah. Man, I'm a big salad fan now. Speaking of culinary facts and hot dogs, we had a listener message us recently who teaches culinary arts at a high school, and it says in their textbooks, hamburgers and hot dogs are considered hot sandwiches. How about that? We have been vindicated because we all agreed on that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. What was the other option? A sub? No. Is a hot dog a sandwich? That was just the question. Oh. And people go back and forth on that. And then some people give you that bullshit. Oh, it's a taco because of the way it's shaped. But based on that logic, then Subway serves tacos because they don't cut their bread all the way through. Right. Or a meatball sub is a fucking taco. Get out of here with that. They just think it's a standalone thing. Like, do you consider a hamburger a sandwich? I think people would argue it's not. They're lunatics, but they would argue it. <laughs> I see the hot dog argument. How can you make the hamburger argument? I don't even see the hot dog argument, which makes the hamburger argument even more so crazy to hmm. me. Right. But they're both considered sandwiches per the culinary arts. And you can't argue with them. No, of course not. It's like trying to fight City Hall. You can't win. Do you feel good about your vindication after all these years? Yeah, because people are so smug about it, too. Like, <laughs> it's not a fucking sandwich. What are you, an idiot, Mike? It's not yeah. a, hot dog's not a sandwich. And don't get me wrong. I'm smug back with it. Absolutely, it is a sandwich. And now we've won. So I'm going to bring that up every episode for the next month. You're like a dork from Ohio. You don't even know what a sandwich is. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't get sandwiches in Ohio. <laughs> you guys live in, like, cornfields or something. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's it. What we talk about? Sweaty Ian, hot dogs, salads, anything on lettuce is a salad officially, right? Is a hamburger a salad if you put the lettuce on the bottom of the bun? I like to tell myself it is. <laughs> it's a salad. What is lettuce? What do you want from me? What do you guys think about this big storm tonight coming through? 
Sounds like it's going to be something. Scary, huh? Yeah. I'm just hoping that power doesn't go out. I don't even think I don't like when the power goes out. We're usually good because our power lines are underground. Yeah. For the most part. Now Ian's got me scared. I'm going to go home and charge everything as soon as I get home. Laptop, tablets. That's what the news was saying that ice was going to be heavy, like weighing down the power lines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's it's been raining here all day, and then at about midnight tonight, temperatures are going to dip below freezing, and it's supposed to snow for almost 24 hours straight. Yeah, we're going to get like 18 to 20 inches. <laughs> it's not good. And mm-hmm. I had a, I was flying to Orlando tomorrow at 4 o'clock. That got canceled. So now I'm on a flight 6 a.m. Friday morning, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully they get stuff cleared up. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, so anyways, well, this was supposed to be a one-parter. Yeah. Then Ian happened. (laughs) We got ourselves a nice little, a change of pace though. Like not a serial killer two-parter ghost stories for two weeks. Yeah. And not even really ghost stories, just kind of, uh, mysteries for the most part. Yeah. It's very entertaining. I I, like, I like these shows where you don't really know what happened and, uh, kind of talk through leaves room for debate and debate about it. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think we should say off the top though, you did the story, you, your notes, you got some really good ones, and then you got to a point where you're like, well, this is either going to be a super, super long episode, or we can break this up into two parts and kind of deep dive next week, which right. will include the, probably the most famous ghost ship. Yeah, because I was trying to do the list the way that you do them and save the best for last. So as I was writing this outline, I was saving the Mary Celeste for last because it's the most popular. I like how you put that heat on me while they're not getting it this way. They're yeah. like, well, this is the way Mike does less. <laughs> you are very particular. Let's be honest, pal. So, uh, yeah, I got to what, like page 10 of writing. I'm like, yeah, Mary Celeste is going to be its own episode. And I think we, we've learned typically like seven to 12 pages of notes is like one episode for us. Yeah. The shorter ends will be seven. The longer episodes are 12. So Mary Celeste next week will be... Uh, part two and maybe some other little things. If we, if you find anything along the way, sounds great. Can I pee real quick? Yeah. I thought you just went, Mike. <laughs> All right. I'll be right back <laughs> for the record. That's Dave's soundboard. <laughs> but every time he plays it, I think about having to pee. Can I pee real quick? Yeah. <laughs> I like how Ian's. Yeah. Is in there. Yeah. I left it in. <laughs> Means each time I ask, I get approval. Go pee. We should probably start this episode before I have to go again. Yeah, why not? So ghost ships are pretty much the same thing as a ghost town. Ghost towns being abandoned towns, and ghost ships are abandoned vessels just floating through the sea. Just like with ghost towns, a lot of times there are easy explanations for why they're abandoned. Like with towns, job opportunities run out, everyone leaves, and that happens with ships sometimes. There are also some stories out there where people didn't want to pay their taxes on the boat or small ship, so they just let it go and let them float out to sea. A lot of that going on, actually, mm. with ghost ships. Tax dodgers. Did they just say, like, oh, it was stolen? and Yeah. Gone. Some insurance fraud going on. Couldn't tell you what happened. I came here and it was just gone. A couple months later, someone finds it floating yeah. through the sea. Right. Fuck. Right. You gotta sink that shit if you're doing insurance <laughs> fraud, right? Walking through a ghost town or an abandoned house that just looks like people up and left gives off creepy vibes. And the same goes for uh, a ship sailing through the ocean, especially when they're all run down from being out there for years. 
the um the pictures you can see on like Instagram and like online of like the uh, abandoned amusement parks. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. We have that one uh, right out here. What the fuck's it called? There's a big Ferris wheel just out in the middle of the woods. Out in Chippewa Lake? Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Abandoned stuff just in general, I find very creepy. And a little sad, but creepy. Just, like for a while, Geauga Lake was like abandoned. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I went there as a kid. Like that's where I rode my first roller coaster. So you can almost picture think, the ghosts of what was what was there because you were there yourself. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm a ghost there. <laughs> Maybe you died at Geauga Lake in a Final Destination type crash. Yeah. What about that? Am I living out like the sixth sense or something? Maybe. I'd do it better than Bruce Willis ever could. <laughs> Fuck him. Maybe you're in an alternate dimension right now. Blowing my mind. Maybe there's another dimension where you lived at Jug Lake and you uh, <laughs> became a porn star and you're not a podcast superstar. <laughs> you could suck your own dick like Ron Jeremy. Maybe that, maybe that is what it is. It was not where I was expecting. People are posting pictures of you sucking your own cock <laughs> on Instagram. I want to live in that universe. <laughs> I don't know how to make that happen. Ghost towns are cool though. Like we always, we've talked about Centralia before. That's the one that uh, Silent Hill is based off. Right? Yeah, I think there's a few holdouts there. Right? For the most part, it's just an abandoned town. I always wanted to go see that. Few holdouts meaning a few people still live there. I think so. That's the one with the coal mine underground ignited, and it's just not possible to put it out. So it's just been burning for. I don't know, 50 years at this point, 40, 50 years. Yeah. It's really dangerous to get close to certain areas where yeah, the, right. like the fumes and shit. Sure. I just always wanted to walk through. I thought it'd be neat. There was something, something I watched about that not too long ago, but they were saying that it will never be put out. Like that will just burn yeah, until the, right. you know, the end of the earth. Until, uh, Armageddon. Yeah. Until Jesus comes back and <laughs> rescues the planet. <laughs> Are you just trying to name every shitty Bruce Willis movie? <laughs> Armageddon's a good movie. Come on. It was all right, actually. That's it. Have you ever been to a ghost town like out west? No. I don't. You I don't can go to Tombstone out in Arizona, right? I mean, I would. Like, I've never, I've, I've never. They done make that dynamite either. frozen pizzas. <laughs> there are no DiGiorno, but they're okay. Oh, I don't prefer DiGiorno. I don't like the uh, thicker. DiGiorno. I don't love the thicker frozen pizza. Why, why are we back on that? <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> he turns a tombstone reference to a pizza <laughs> and he goes, oh, why am I talking about this? Yeah. I, I don't know why I'm talking about it, but that's where my head goes when I think of tombstone. <laughs> Tear that, you want me to talk about The Undertaker? <laughs> I went with pizza. Can I pee real quick? <laughs> <laughs> so, the, I mean, the ones that are interesting regarding ghost ships are the ones where people are either found uh, all dead or just missing like they vanished. What we're going to do is just go through some of these um, that are really mysterious and see what we think happened. The first one is the SS Orang Medan. Depending on what source you use, in June of 1947 or February of 1948, more than one ship sailing through the trade routes of Malacca claimed to have picked up a group of SOS signals from an unknown ship. The message was, quote, we float. All officers, including the captain, are dead, lying in chart room, in bridge, possibly whole crew dead. After this message, there was a series of Morse code messages that were just a bunch of jumbled nonsense. Then one last message that said, quote, I die. The SOS calls were picked up by two American ships, as well as British and Dutch radio operators. 
these operators were able to figure out where the calls were coming from, and the nearest ship was the Dutch freight ship named the SS Orang Medan. The two American ships were the City of Baltimore and the Silver Star. The Silver Star was the closest to the SS Orang, so they volunteered to respond to those SOS calls. When the Silver Star crew found the SS Orang, the ship appeared to be undamaged, but they could tell that it wasn't being manned. It was just rocking around in the choppy waters. Some crew members from the Silver Star started to get ready to board the SS Orang, while the other crew members started to get ready to tow it back to a dock. When crew members from the Silver Star boarded the SS Orang, they found that the whole crew was dead, including a dog. All of the bodies were on their backs, all had their eyes and mouths wide open like they were frozen in terror. There were no survivors found, and there didn't appear to be any signs of injury or what caused them to die. You, you can almost get a feeling for that that frozen in terror face because you've seen it in so many movies. Yeah. Which is super creepy to imagine. To come up that. on a boat or ship like that and, and find everybody, everybody like it. Their mouth open like a ghast in terror. Just laying on their back. Yeah. And this was day. The way the story is told is this was daytime. That the sun was out. It was a clear day. So it's just all sunny, beaten down on the ship. I have a question. This, I, I just, you guys might know. You probably know. What is an SOS signal? Like, what are the other ships receiving? Like, I know what Morse code is. An SOS signal is what? A radio communication? Or is it like a, like a, Almost like like just a fax of just like lettering coming through. I'd say they sent out Morse code. I mean, SOS is save our ship, right? Right. But what is an SOS code? As I thought it went out Morse code. I think, but the way it was worded, it said they had an SOS message and then they got Morse code. So it was all just done through Morse code. Yeah. Okay. I don't yeah, know if like, there was something different with an SOS message. I mean, I know SOS is save our ship, yeah. but I didn't know if it was a different means of receiving that that message that's what i thought they transmitted morse code I thought maybe it was carrier pigeon or something <laughs> fly little bird save us i know they had different channels i'm pretty sure that there are distressed channels that that's you know of morse code or just or like just on the radio on the radio like they would so they might tune have heard in. someone saying that yeah i don't okay from my understanding i could be completely wrong on that but well, we're not experienced seamen. Hmm. Well, I'm an experience with seamen, but <laughs> experienced seamen. Um, what are they gonna say? We were talking about their faces and being frozen <laughs> in daylight. Well, they had to kill the dog daylight. too, which is upsetting. Have you ever seen the movie The Fog, where they found the guys on the ship like that? It's kind of what it reminds me of. I don't know. Frozen. Was fucking. it based on this? <clears throat> like this little story? I don't know. It might have been. That was just one small part of the fog where they went out and found the guys on the abandoned ship like that. Just frozen there. Mm-hmm. Really creepy. Yeah, it's, that would be terrifying. How big is this ship? Do we know? Like, I've been on lots of cruises, and it's kind of strange just being out in the middle of the ocean. But when you're on you know smaller ships like that, it has to be even more so. Such a helpless feeling, kind of. Yeah, just out in the middle of nowhere. Like I've been on charter, you see nothing. You see, yeah. Nothing. Like I've been on fishing charters, you know, three, four, five miles off the shore and stuff like that. But when you're out in the middle of the ocean, not anywhere remotely near land on a small boat like that, I bet it's scary. I wouldn't like that. Not for me. Mm-mm. Not for me either. Okay. 
You will never find us on the deadliest catch. Yeah, like on those small boats out there. It's crazy. Or like that movie, uh, what was that called? The Perfect Storm. That's a fantastic movie. Did you ever read the book? Like it's no. really scary. But I have seen the movie, so yeah. some credit for that, please. Well, it's like, it's like an audio and visual book, right? So you get credit. The book, wait. The book is what? Well, you watch the movie. That's like yeah. listening oh, I see to an audio and audio visual version of the book. So I was just looking close for, enough. for credit that I actually saw a damn movie. <laughs> George Clooney at his finest. Marky Mark. I always forget he's in that. Yeah. But just when they go under and just oh, it's being terrifying. alone out there. And like movie, uh, water movies are terrifying. Like, do you ever see open water? No. Do they live, leave those scuba divers out in the middle of the ocean? No. Oh, my God. Mm-mm. terrifying well that's why the earth this is turning into necronite the movies uh i love the movie castaway we've talked about that but two things for that one i think that that plane crash scene is so realistic or seems like how it would be mm-hmm. that it was terrifying and then two can you imagine you're in a plane and then now you're just in the ocean no and then like you almost are upset you survived because now what the fuck are you supposed to do right that's a lot that castaway shits a lot. Like just taking out my own tooth. Yeah. <laughs> just, how do you not I would have hung myself. I think you, like he almost did. Well, he tried and I then it, it failed. Like, you know, when he tested it, <laughs> I, I think you just go crazy out there. You would end up just going crazy. Oh yeah. So as soon as they found that everybody was dead, it was decided that the SS orang would be towed to a nearby port. But as soon as the cables were connected and they started towing, the crew of the Silver Star noticed smoke coming out of the number four cargo hold. And it wasn't just a little bit of smoke. It was like a huge fire broke out. At that point, the Silver Star disconnected and got away from the SS Orang. Eventually, the crew of the Silver Star witnessed the SS Orang explode and sink. Oh, what's going on there? The story is wild and super creepy, but it might be too good of a creepy story to be true. It really is creepy. And I almost want this to be real just because of all the questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Dietlov pass kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. The problem with trying to figure out what happened here is that there are no official records that the SS Orang Medan even existed. The silver star existed. There is a paper trail for that ship. However, by 1947, it had been renamed to Santa Juana. The the story is either in 1947 or 1948. So the Silver Star was not named the Silver Star at this time. The story first showed up in three articles of a Dutch newspaper on February 3rd and 28th, 1948, as well as March 13th, 1948. In the first article, the Silver Star is never named, but it puts the location in the right area. The second and third articles talk about an SS Orang crew member that survived the explosion. The guy was found by an Italian missionary and native people of the Marshall Islands. According to the story, the ship was carrying barrels of oil, and when some of the oils broke, toxic fumes killed the crew, and then the oil caught fire and caused the ship to blow up. According to the story, the SS Orang was sailing from an unnamed small Chinese port to Costa Rica and deliberately avoided the authorities. The survivor, an unnamed German, died after telling his story to the missionary, who told his story to the author of the articles, Silvio Shirley. 
The articles end with the following disclaimer, quote, This is the last part of our story about the mystery of the Orang Medan. We must repeat that we don't have any other data on this mystery of the sea, nor can we answer the many unanswered questions in this story. It may seem obvious that this is a thrilling romance of the sea. On the other hand, the author, Silvio Shirley, assures us the authenticity of the story. Muscozy, muscozy. <laughs> he's not saying muscozy. He's saying, no, this is it. Muscozy. <laughs> well, it's pretty close to World War II. There was a lot of uh, unnamed German stuff going on, right? Unnamed German. <laughs> Common phrase. In 1952, the United States Coast Guard published the Proceedings of the Merchant Marine Council. And in this, they tell the story, including a description of the crew members' faces when they were found and said, quote, their frozen faces were upturned to the sun, staring as if in fear. The mouths were gaping open and eyes staring. Mike, you've seen a lot of gaping openings. What do you make of all this? <laughs> holes is holes. Make use. <laughs> I think that's pretty offensive in this context, but okay. We don't even know this is real, pal. <laughs> I, I, st- I think that's an absolute terrifying sight. <clears throat> if that was legit and you walked up on a boat and that's what you found. That just frozen in fear, open, dead, open yeah. eye face is absolutely terrifying. With no signs of anything else happening, the ship just, you random, or you don't even randomly find, you go because you got this creepy message, mm-hmm. this SOS. And then that, what was that last one? I die now or I, I, die, I dead or whatever. I die. I die. Yeah. Like that's terrifying Mm -hmm. and just getting a little dark it's you know it's sunny out who knows how long they've actually been there there's probably birds you know seagulls have probably started to oh the smell pluck the eyes out along those lines why do you get all the seagulls in the parking lots why aren't they at the lake what do you make of that I, I do kind of wonder that we, do we, we don't see seagulls out here, do we? Oh, yeah. Out there? Oh, yeah. Probably under the Walmart parking lot. I don't venture over there. Well, it's like that, that, <laughs> that big. You don't see them at the Target parking lot. I can tell you that, pal. Well, it's because it's busy. The one. Um, the, the empty Kmart parking lot. There's yeah. lots of seagulls. Oh, is there? Man, yeah. Man, like if you just drive through. Birds? What are you doing? <laughs> You're seagulls. In a parking lot, gulls. Yeah. You're not city gulls. <laughs> What's wrong with these gulls? <laughs> They're called seagulls. Why is there any food in the parking lot? Fucking stupid gulls. <laughs> Maybe they go out to Lake Erie after they're done hanging out in the parking lot. I fucking hope so. It's a hell of a flight. Coming to Kmart, which has been closed for how many years? It's an abandoned parking lot. They're not finding food over there. Mm-mm. What are they doing there? Mm. It's, it's a phenomenon. Sh- Maybe that's a bonus show. <laughs> What the fuck are those Medina seagulls doing in that abandoned parking lot every day? <laughs> and why do they look so well fed? Interesting. Mm. What are they feeding on? We might be on to something here. <laughs> Our first investigative uh, pod, uh, podcast episode. We should go broadcast this. live up there. I'll go up there right now and try to interview some of them. <laughs> what is your purpose here? <laughs> what are y'all seagulls doing up here? I'll do a journalism. <laughs> So historian and author Roy Baton spent years researching the story, trying to validate it. Like we said, the Silver Star was a real ship. And through his research, Roy Baton established that an off-the-books rescue attempt done by the Silver Star almost certainly happened. 
However, after hitting multiple dead ends, Baton assumed that the story is either exaggerated or just flat out an urban legend of the sea. The strongest theory Baton put forward, if the story's true, the SS Orang might have been smuggling nerve gases during wartime. The Japanese had been storing nerve gases in China, and after the war, the U.S. confiscated all of it. According to this theory, no U.S. ship could transport the gas because it would leave a paper trail. So it was loaded onto a non-registered ship for transport to the U.S. or an island in the Pacific. These gases were reportedly a combination of potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin. Seawater could have entered the ship's hold, reacting with the cargo to release toxic gases, which then caused the crew to die from asphyxia and or poisoning. Later, the seawater could have reacted with the nitroglycerin, causing the fire and explosion. That's a lot of supposition. That's the most... I guess, plausible explanation for this story. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to look for an actual answer to something, I guess you can go that route. Would they all have those same faces all the same? That's weird to me. Mm-hmm. Did the U.S. Uh, are we known to have taken Japanese nerve gas stockpiles out of China? Hey, buddy, you don't ask those questions. <laughs> I think it ended up in someone's hands. Interesting. I mean, I know Unit Unit 731 burned a lot of that stuff. They destroyed Mm -hmm. a lot of that evidence, but Mm. all those gases were being sent to Unit 731 from somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think all that stuff ended up in probably our hands, right? All the Nazi scientists ended up in our hands. I suppose, yeah. Like, none of them wanted to go to to the Russians. Yeah. They all wanted to go to the Americans. They all wanted to be captured by the Americans. I'm terrified of the Russians coming through. I would assume we probably took Hmm. anything that we. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And it makes sense that it would not be some registered ship transporting that. So is the implication that someone stole it, though? I think the implication would be that this combination of seawater and stuff release the gas and kind of killed them. Yeah, right. but was were there additional stockpiles on the ship when it was boarded by whoever found it? I could not find that much. Mm. Just that they were, you know, in the process of getting ready to tow it and it caught fire and blew up. Okay. I can I I can believe that, I guess. Did the last person on board go crazy from um being afflicted with whatever sent those messages? Was, well, what happened? was dying. The last one, the last guy said I die or in jumbled messages because he was basically right. going incoherent at that point. Just not that much evidence to support. Yeah. Yeah. But what about the one dude who allegedly survived this? Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Are they just saying there's no credibility to it? That doesn't seem real at all. Him being alive. <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. somebody survived that. I don't know. But then like doesn't give from. any answers or anything like that. Like the unnamed and German that, guy? Yeah. That was just from the Dutch. That was from a newspaper, yeah. The Dutch, yeah. Wait, was that the, was he the German guy? No, he was That was there was like a three article thing and that popped up in the third. It almost sounded like those got more uh it was found by an Italian missionary. The guy was found by an Italian uh, missionary. Bonjour no. That that's weird. That's a weird little Yeah. Those articles seem to get more 
elaborate as they were written. It sounds like pieces, parts just getting put together to sell newspapers. Like maybe there's a little truth and then it just becomes folklore. So then you wonder if their faces were even actually found like that. And then maybe the story is legit where it was just the gases and the toxins that they, they, you know, were breathing in and they killed them. They might've just, even the ships might've just come upon a burned out ship that had already blown up. Who knows? So you think even maybe the Morse code and the SOS was just a fabrication. Yeah, and the whole faces thing. Hmm. They might have seen it blown up and just sinking. Yeah. It's like a composite of a bunch of different stories. Who knows? Or maybe something supernatural happened on that boat. Maybe. Maybe it was aliens. Maybe it was the, uh, what is it? The uh, uh, USOs. Maybe it was a mm-hmm. USO. I don't think we're ever going to know. This historian, this Roy Baton guy, he says he he thinks that it's a it's just an urban legend. You know, just a story that kind of, like what you said, kind of got a life of its own. Mm -hmm. Look, that happens all the time, right? But this was his theory that if it was true, this would be the most plausible thing to have happened. Because if if this did happen, if this was true and his theory is correct, the U.S. would be like, oh, whoops, that never happened. (laughs) We're not going to acknowledge that. I'm going to mark this one unexplainable because I'm not sure. Stamped. That's all I got to say. The next one is the MV Joyita. The MV Joyita translates to Little Jewel. It was a yacht that was built in 1931 for movie director Ronald West. At the time, it was said that the yacht was unsinkable because of its extremely solid wooden construction. It used like three or four different types of wood, and it was really buoyant. So if there was a leak, it would pretty much be impossible that it would sink. I seem to recall another ship that they said was unsinkable. I think they made a movie yeah. about it with a mediocre British accent. British uh, actress, Mike? Yeah, there were some familiar mediocre, with that. mediocre <laughs> British actresses in it, but then there was also Academy Award winning uh, Kate Winslet. <laughs> so supposedly this ship couldn't sink. And it was sold in 1936 to a private buyer. And then in 1941, it was sold to the U.S. Navy. Once the Navy had it, they took the yacht to Pearl Harbor, where it was redone and known as Patrol Boat YP-108. After it was redone, the yacht was used to patrol Hawaii until the end of World War II. After the war, the MV Joyita was sold multiple times until it was sold to a British sailor living in Samoa named Captain Thomas Miller. He used it as a fishing boat as well as renting it out for passengers. On October 3rd, 1955, at around 5 a.m., the Joyita left Samoa headed for Tokilau Islands, about 270 miles away. The trip was scheduled to start the day before, but the engine clutch failed and needed to be fixed. It sounded like they couldn't get it fixed in time, but they were comfortable with setting sail even though there was only one engine working. Doesn't seem like a great idea. They should have called us. We could have fixed that engine clutch in like what? 30 minutes, guys? 27. I'll run to AutoZone and get you your your clutches. (laughs) Clutch tools. I'll get you your clutches and tools, and then we'll just build that engine again. We'll put some pistons in there (laughs) and oil and rods and an axle. You need an axle. (laughs) Can't have a boat without an axle. Of course. (laughs) How your wheel's going to (laughs) turn. Right. It's got to roll into the water somehow, right? That's right. You should uh, open up. That'd be like a, a good 
like impractical jokers like Mike's body Mike's shot. mechanic or Mike's auto body. <laughs> just people bringing their cars in there. He explains <laughs> what the repairs have to be. Like Mike, he, you give him 10 minutes to look the car over and he has to explain to the customers what he has to do to fix the car. <laughs> they're like there's, there's, there's something wrong. I'm hearing like a, like a, some kind of loud humming in my back end. Right, can you pop the trunk, please? <laughs> how do you, hey, can you, how do you open this gas cap? I need to look at your, I think your gas cap is loose. I could tighten it for you. It'll be all right. It'll be $3,000. Parts and labor. It'll be fun. It's just like someone like kicked my ass. It looks like your blinker fluid spilled all over your carburetor, sir. Your blinker fluid. <laughs> It's like this car's a 2022. I don't believe it has a carburetor <laughs> or blinker fluid. Like, sir, excuse me, you're using big words like carburetor. What are you talking about? This is a vehicle. That's a made up word. It's, carburetor? It's, That's not wait, even a real word. Wait, sir. is car short for carburetor? <laughs> Someone brings me like a motorcycle. I like to kick the kickstand out and fall over on it. Like, oh man, I'm really sorry. Yeah, we don't service your kind of bikes here. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. I think it was broken. You brought it in here. I didn't do that. <laughs> so on board, there were 16 crew members and nine passengers, including a World War II surgeon, Alfred Parsons. The cargo consisted of medical supplies, wood, and empty oil drums. Do you think, like when they do stories about Joseph Mengele, he gets referred to as a World War II surgeon? Um, not in the same context as this guy. This guy was actually like a kind of like a hero. Yeah. Like yeah, he was on the good side. Right. World War II surgeon Joseph Mengele, or the doctor at Unit Seven Thirty One. No, because they lost the war, right? Yeah, winners dictate history. Winners write the book. They're shit stains. Shit stain. Doctor shit stain <laughs> one and Doctor shit stain two. I know. I just read that. I'm like. Dr. Mengele would be described as a World War II surgeon. He was a type of surgeon, huh? He was something. That's on our list of shows at some point. Yeah. That's a tough one to go through, though. Yeah. Be very dark, but it'll yeah. be. We'll have to sandwich that one with a couple fun, lighthearted episodes. The Joyita was scheduled to arrive in the Tokelau Islands on October 5th, but when it didn't show up, a message was sent out on October 6th saying that the ship was late. No one in the surrounding area received a distress call, so a search party was organized that ran from October 6th through the 12th and was headed by the Royal New Zealand Air Force. They covered a massive portion of the ocean, but there was no sign of the MV Joita. The biggest thing I learned on the show is that New Zealand had an Air Force. Yeah. That? That's pretty cool. I wouldn't have thought that. Good for them. I don't know why I knew that, but for some reason I did. Huh. I don't know what. I had read in the past, but I was like, oh, okay, here's their claim to fame. Good for them. We have listeners in New Zealand. Do we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would love to get out to New Zealand one of these days when the borders open back up. They're not letting you in, you fucking dirty American. <laughs> You're not welcome there. <laughs> You're bring disease. Kind of rude. You're going to bring disease. <laughs> We're all going to bring disease, not just you. We're dirty Americans. I'm pretty clean. Look, I'll take a shower before I go, man. <laughs> Relax. I've had all my shots. I'm, I'll be all right. That Air Force is going to hunt you down, pal. Just going to strafe me in the airport with tarmac once they I get might. off the plane. They might. <laughs> with their clutches and their axles and their pistons. Whatever else an Air Force has. 
I don't know what kind of weapons they use in New Zealand. I'm not familiar with their weaponry myself. Would you want to be beat over the head with a piston? I wouldn't. (laughs) Sounds unpleasant. (laughs) Sounds quite unpleasant. So five weeks later on November 10th, Captain Gerald Douglas was sailing his merchant ship when he spotted the Joyita over 600 miles away from where it was supposed to be, just off of the Fiji Islands. The Joyita was half submerged in the water, just randomly floating with no signs of the crew or passengers. When investigators boarded the Joyita, it was discovered that not only were the crew and passengers missing, but also almost four tons of cargo it had been carrying were also gone. The ship's three lifeboats were gone and couldn't be found, even though the rafts had been equipped with distress beacons and were specifically designed to be found quick. The ship was also in pretty bad shape. The flying bridge had been destroyed and many of the ship's windows had been smashed. Also, barnacle growth on the port side showed that the ship had been listing hard for some time and there was a large hole that led to heavy flooding in the lower deck. So that that listing is just like it was just kind of on its side on an angle and just sitting for enough time for, you know, barnacles to Mm. grow on the. If you look at pictures of this ship, it's only 69 feet long. It's not that big. And you said 69. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Professional podcaster. I used to have a shirt that had a big 68 on the front. It said, you do me and I owe you one. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but it doesn't like four ton. That's 8,000 pounds of cargo. Have you looked at the pictures? Of the yeah. ship? It doesn't look like it would carry all that, all that cargo. It does not look very big. No, it just looks like a little kind of pleasure yacht sort of deal. That's always what I feel like when I like you go on a boat, but then like you go under and it's like, wow, there's much more space under here than you anticipated. Yeah, I guess. And but I'm not saying that's for this. I haven't seen the pictures, but I always just find that like you see a boat on the outside and you're like, oh, that's not that's OK. And then you go like in or under it and you're like, holy fuck. Like, yeah, I guess there are parts that can be underwater a little bit. But that would indicate you load like down under right by hand like you can't load pallets of stuff that way uh, it just seems like a know. small boat to be carrying eight thousand eight thousand pounds of cargo but what the fuck do i know i don't know it's true we're talking out of our ass so actual boats are like these fucking idiots I, when i was reading Who a lot of this microphones <laughs> there was a lot of like boat lingo being used starboard and yeah, I'm like port side, port starboard, side, and, yeah, and like aft. Uh, and the, sure, yeah. oh, what that means I'll take <laughs> my way through this one. <laughs> Isn't that is that in Wedding Crashers when she's trying to tell him how to sail sail the boat? He doesn't know which way. He's <laughs> Owen Wilson's all fucking confused. Yeah, that'd be me. Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> go man the boat. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> You can't find the man in the boat. You're not going to be able to man the boat. (laughs) I guess we're all dying. (laughs) There was a doctor's bag found on deck, and it was filled with bloody bandages. In the bridge, it was found that the ship's logbook and navigational equipment were all missing, as well as several guns that Captain Miller had kept on board. All of the lights for the cabins were on, as well as the navigational lights, and weirdly, all of the electrical clocks on board had stopped at 1025. This is probably due to the ship's generators cutting out at that time, but that's still pretty fucking creepy. 
Well, or they could have entered another dimension at 1025 and uh, interfere with the it's true the power supply of the clock sure anything's likely at this point right now in the story no answers the radio on the ship was working and was set to an international distress channel but it only had a range of two miles due to bad wiring regardless no distress signal had ever been sent in the engine room, the engine had been covered with a mattress, possibly a failed attempt to plug a leak. Finally, an auxiliary pump had been rigged up in the engine room to fight flooding, but it was never connected to any power source. I've seen enough Three Stooges episodes to know <laughs> that if you have a leak, you just chew a bunch of gum. <laughs> you put it over the hole. Not a fucking mattress. Right. What is that going to do? You've plugged a lot of holes on a mattress, <laughs> but never with a mattress. Exactly. <laughs> New shirt. Just a picture of a mattress. Plugging holes. <laughs> An inquiry was launched in February of 1956 to figure out what happened to the Joyita. The ship was never going to sink, even with the leak that it had. There was no reason for the crew and passengers to leave. The only thing the inquiry was able to find was that the flooding came from a broken cooling pipe. The inquiry put a lot of the blame on Captain Miller. They said that he was reckless for setting out with only one engine and failing to provide a working radio, not one that only reached out two miles. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I, I think we can unanimously agree on this is the first thing in this whole story we can concur on. Yeah, yeah. that's not great. Yeah. It's not responsible. Fucking Captain Miller. Get your head out of your ass. He also broke maritime law since he had been renting out the Joyita to passengers when all it was supposed to be used for was fishing. Like It sounded really fucking shady. Like It was like a side hustle he was doing. Like, oh yeah, I'll rent this out for for people to hop on and take a ride somewhere. Yeah, like some fucking rom-com <laughs> where like the captain's all disheveled pounding on the <laughs> engine with a hammer to get it going before they set out to sea. Yeah. Ah, it'll be fine. We got one engine. You know, in the uh, infamous and fantastic rom-com failure to launch, Matthew McConaughey's character sells boats for a living and tries to impress Sarah Jessica Parker by taking you on a date on a boat uh, she was led to believe it was his, but it was just when he was selling. And as they had just gotten set up for a fine afternoon lunch, the owner showed up. Uh. Hijinks ensued. <laughs> Love was in the air. I'll let you watch the movie. Is that what Terry Bradshaw's his father? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good. That's, that's really good. That's a good movie. And uh, which one to call? It's his mom, uh, Kathy Bates. Yeah, is that who it was Kathy yeah. Bates? Yeah. Okay. Terry Bradshaw, when he finally moves out, makes his old bedroom his naked room. He's <laughs> walking around naked, feeding his fish. Of course it is. It's first of all, it's Matthew McConaughey. Second of all, rom-coms are delightful. Uh, most of them. I uh, don't disagree. Some of them are delightful. <laughs> the ones I like are delightful. I like uh, J-Lo rom-coms. Uh, what is Maybe it? Like the Made wedding, in the, Manhattan. And the Wedding Planner. Wedding Planner. Jersey Girl. Big J-Lo fan. All right. I haven't seen any of these movies. My favorite Jennifer Lopez movie, I think, <laughs> is Selena. Have you seen that one? Sure. I liked that one. I don't know if I've seen those rom-coms with her. She's oh, what's terrific. the other one she's in? Uh, Money Train. Isn't she in Money Train? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's good in that, too. It was like, let's take white men can't jump, but make them cops. <laughs> Money Train. <laughs> Pretty much. She's in that, what was that called? Hustle Hustlers? 
about the stripper a couple years ago. She's yeah, like, I know it's in recent. Fucking 52 she looks years phenomenal. old. She's absolutely beautiful. Wasn't she an anaconda too? That sounds right. <laughs> I'll watch any J-Lo movie. I don't care what it is. Over the years, theories have been thrown around on just what exactly happened on the MV Joyita. One popular theory suggests that Captain Miller, for some reason, had been killed or something else happened that left him unable to lead, which then led to the rest of the crew to panic once the flooding started and therefore abandoning ship. As to how Captain Miller could have been incapacitated, it's been suggested that he may have had a fight with his first mate, Chuck Simpson. The two of them did not like each other, and they would often fight about petty shit. So it's believed that all this might have come to a head and they seriously hurt each other or they might have both fallen overboard while fighting. Chuck Simpson may have taken things too far and killed Captain Miller at some point. Them fighting could explain the bloody bandages that were found in that medical kit. But this theory still doesn't explain no distress signal or why the remaining crew wouldn't have known about the Joyita's buoyancy enough to stay on board. So one thing we're going to see here is nothing. There's no explanation for why everyone would just leave. Yeah. Like there's a lot of, okay, well, here's what could have happened, but then no distress signal. Everyone leaves the fucking mattress being up there, like just random things, the bloody bandages. It's not pointing at anything yet. Also, if, if it's your boat, why is your first mate someone you don't like? Can't you just be like a hey, fuck out of here? Is it slim pickings for first mates in Samoa? Look, Forrest Gump got his best bud, Lieutenant Dan, to be his first mate. Just go get your best bud. If I ever rent a boat, get run a boat. If I ever get my own boat, you guys are both my first mates. Thanks. Right, that'll be yeah. fun. Just don't kill me and, you know, take over the boat. No promises. But you should know I'm not a very good swimmer. So if you just kind of throw me over the edge, I'm fucked. I'm not either. I'm wearing my life jacket the whole fucking time. Right. We're in the shower on the boat, boat, just wear life jacket. Never know what might happen. <laughs> fucking get one of those noodles, just duct tape it around your waist. Also, overboard rom com, Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn. So another idea is that the ship was attacked by pirates who caused the crew and passengers to escape in the lifeboats or maybe the pirates just killed everyone. However, it's weird that pirates would want anything to do with the missing cargo of medical supplies and wood. Like it's not something pirates are going to go after. It's possible that pirates attacked them and then they're like, oh, fuck, we don't want this cargo and then killed everybody. I mean, that's still possible. Was pirating a thing back then? I know modern day we've got like the Somali pirates with with ships that are too, you know, sailing too close off the, the coast of Africa and stuff. Yeah. Was pirating an issue back then around where these guys were? I think it's always been an issue. Has it never, never went away? Yeah, I think there's always been some. I mean, that's scary, right? Yeah. It's always scary when you were, you're traveling somewhere or, or you're somewhere unfamiliar and then like oh wait i fucked up i'm i'm somewhere where i'm not supposed to be mm. right now or i think that's right yeah there's another theory that the ship was captured by a soviet submarine and the crew and passengers were kidnapped there's also some pretty credible speculation that there were still a japanese military operating in the pacific after world war ii and they did not know that the war had ended and then they just attacked the Joyita. Ten years later? You ever did you re ever read anything about that? It's very interesting. Well, 
there were like the Japanese soldiers that for 30 years hid in a jungle yeah. in like Guam and the Philippines and they wouldn't believe the war was over and like an admiral or a, like a high ranking military official with like a proclamation from the emperor had to fly over to Guam and Philippines and accept their surrender. Like they're fucking hardcore. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's tar- tales of that of almost every war, yeah. you know, that people just don't get the message and they're 30 years out in the fucking jungle yeah, civil war. There were battles after the fact that, you know, they oh, fucking yeah. ended the civil war and people are dying. But I guess, so I get that, but where would a submarine refuel and restock supplies for a decade after the war, I guess is what I was thinking. Yeah. I don't yeah, know how that's stations. Yeah. Yeah. Credible that, like you said, like the jungle stuff. Right. Cause that really, yeah, that's well documented. Yeah. Multiple cases of that. The refueling would pose an issue. Yeah. Like you can't submerge for a decade. Maybe they're just floating doing? around out there. <laughs> Eating the dead, last man standing. There's newspapers that ran with that, though. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. That ran with the Joita saying that the Japanese were responsible. Some questionable headlines. Another popular theory reported in several newspapers was that Japanese fishing boats attacked the Joita after it passed through a fleet of their ships. And the people of the Joita saw something that the Japanese didn't want them to see. This theory carries some weight because at the time there was a lot of controversy in Fiji over Japan's fishing fleets in their waters. There was also rumors that maybe a mutiny happened on the Joita at some point during the voyage. In this scenario, the Joita ran into problems when its engine room became flooded and bad weather with huge waves hit the ship. Possibly Captain Miller fully believed that nothing could sink the Joita and chose to press on with the voyage while the rest of the crew wanted to turn back. It's possible that the crew had tied up Captain Miller and then jumped ship in the lifeboats. A historian from New Zealand named David Wright thinks that after flooding from the broken pipe, the Joita had tried to send a distress signal, but for some reason or other, the signal was not sent. The crew, thinking that the distress signal had been sent, took the lifeboats while the passengers were forced to use life vests and drowned or were eaten by sharks. The idea was that they would be rescued by the Royal New Zealand Air Force, but that help never arrived because the signal had actually never been received. This idea still doesn't explain why the crew would not have just sent the distress signal and waited because they should have or, or would have known that the Joyita wouldn't sink all the way. There's also the idea out there that Captain Miller may have tried to pull off some insurance fraud. It was revealed that he had a ton of debt, but there isn't much to that theory other than he was in debt. Because where the fuck did everybody go? You know what I mean? I guess if the crew did leave and left the passengers there and they weren't ever rescued like they thought, would that cause them to never surface again for fear of being you know, blamed or prosecuted for those passengers' fates? I don't know. Possibly, yeah. Stuff like this is hard to even suppose what happened. Just, just endless possibilities. And the right one's probably one that no one ever considered. This one's got 19 different theories kind of associated with yeah, it. Right. So it's like, all right, throw a dart and see what sticks. The pirate stuff's interesting, though. The pirate thing seems most likely to me, but then that doesn't explain like the mattress over the pipes and, you know, and that weird shit. Yeah. Or the fact that they're, you know, unless they were just ambushed, they couldn't put out like an SOS call or something. The lifeboats were gone on this one. Yeah. 
I mean, it seems likely that they thought the boat was going to sink and they just all left in lifeboats and they sunk, right? But history has taught us unsinkable ships don't sink. But I mean, the well, that ship, but the lifeboats. <laughs> I was just kidding. A Titanic sunk. It was supposed <laughs> to be the unsinkable ship. So they mistakenly thought this one would sink when it actually didn't. So they left in the lifeboats and actually did sink. Or got roasted. No one ever found them. I mean, you know how big the Pacific Ocean is. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a solid, you know, I think it's a solid um, theory that they probably would have been eaten by sharks. Sure. Probably pretty quick, I would think. Or just got roasted out in the sun, no water. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, dehydrated. Yeah. If they didn't build a clever, like, water capturing device like Tom Hanks and Castaway. Spent, took years to do that. Man. I know. Do you think when they get, if they got really dehydrated, like to the sharks, they're like, ooh, beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Cyan. Yeah, I think this one falls into what we talked about in the beginning about just creepy abandoned stuff. Mm-hmm. You, like the pictures of this, it's just kind of slightly tilted That's to the right. side. That's right. Go on there. Everybody's gone. The clock is stopped at 1025. It's just eerie, you know. I think the logical explanation is that's what happened. But I don't know. Yeah. Who, who fucking know. knows? I don't know. Have you seen the movie Ghost Ship? I have not. That is a good fucking movie. Really I think like you a, told me this last week and I didn't. Salvage crew that comes across a ghost ship out in the middle of the ocean. It's a rom-com, right? It is not a rom-com. <laughs> it's more of a horror movie. It is really good. I don't think it's rated too highly, but I like it. Maybe an uh, upcoming Necro Night at the movies. Oh, yeah. I think it's really good. I would love it. Add it to the list. We'll put it on. Done. The next one is The Flying Dutchman. The story of The Flying Dutchman dates back to the 17th century during the boom of the Dutch East India Company when stories of a ghost ship started popping up. The ghost ship appeared during bad storms and was said to glow and be manned by ghosts. The ship was seen most off of South Africa's Cape of Good Hope And this is where the stories of the ship cursing whoever saw it comes from, as well as the detail that the Dutchman is in this type of purgatory, like it's doomed to just sail forever with its ghost crew and it just can't move on to the other side. One of the first references to the Flying Dutchman comes from A Voyage to Botany Bay from 1795, where Australian pioneer George Barrington wrote, quote, I had often heard of the superstition of sailors respecting apparitions and doom, but had never given much credit to the report. It seems that some years since a Dutch man of war was lost off the Cape of Good Hope and every soul on board perished, her consort weathered the gale and arrived soon after at the Cape. Having refitted and returning to Europe, they were assailed by a violent tempest nearly in the same latitude. In the night watch, some of the people saw or imagined they saw a vessel standing for them under a press of sail, as though she would run them down. One in particular affirmed it was the ship that had foundered in the former gale, and that it must certainly be her or the apparition of her. But on its clearing up the object, a dark, thick cloud disappeared. Nothing could do away the idea of this phenomenon on the minds of the sailors and on their relating the circumstances when they arrived in port. The story spread like wildfire, and the supposed phantom was called the Flying Dutchman. 
From the Dutch, the English seamen got the infatuation, and there are very few India men. But what has someone on board who pretends to have seen the apparition? Is English semen better than uh, American semen? Taste-wise, I mean. I wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting to find out. What's it taste like? I don't know. I feel like English semen. Ron Jeremy. English semen probably tastes like you had like baked beans and a tomato slice for breakfast, right? Like, isn't that what they fucking do over there? Weirdos. Traditional English breakfast. Sounds disgusting. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love baked beans. Yeah. For breakfast, though? It's weird. You're gassy all day, right? Yeah, that's a little heavy for breakfast. Says us, you go to Denny's, get a grand slam. (laughs) (laughs) Or Waffle House, and you're fucking eating all that shit and bacon and sausage. (laughs) Another account was from Prince George of Wales. He saw the Flying Dutchman in 1881 off the coast of Australia and wrote, quote, At 4 a.m., the Flying Dutchman crossed our bows. A strange red light as a phantom ship all aglow in the midst of which light the mass spars and sails of a brig 200 yards distant stood out in strong relief as she came up on the port bow where also the officer of the watch from the bridge clearly saw her as did the quarter deck midshipman who was sent forward at once to the forecastle but on arriving there was no vestige nor any sign whatsoever of any material ship was to be seen neither near or right away to the horizon. The night being clear and the sea calm, 13 persons altogether saw her. I have no idea what you just said. Well, there was masts and spars <laughs> and quarter deck midshipmen and forecastles. 13 people saw the ship, though. I know that. I guess that's kind of scary to see that, right? That would be a little freaky. But you're on the water at night. If there's big waves... I feel like your mind's going to play tricks tricks on you a little bit. I think probably that's right. You might see some shadows and things being out there night after night. I don't know. Your mind might fuck with you a little bit. Especially if you're out at sea for month after month. Yeah. Without the loving embrace of a good woman. <laughs> you're getting a little backed up in the testes, if you know what I mean. So that makes you see ghost ships. <laughs> your mind doesn't think right with those blue balls. Come on. A lot of semen. A lot of semen. Built up semen in the semen. I think that's right. (laughs) Cause a man to go crazy, lad. (laughs) A more detailed story showed up in the September-October 1915 issue of the United States Naval Institute Proceedings. A guy named John A. Mudd shared a bunch of old family letters between a relative of his and a cousin who had been a lieutenant in the Navy off of the African coast. And it covers a time frame from the 1840s to the 1860s. In these letters, there's conversations between the two in 1942, which started with an alleged sighting of a ghost ship from the lieutenant's ship that appeared out of a storm and sailed full speed against the wind. Allegedly, two nights after the cousin's ship was trapped in a lightning storm, when the dark shape of a massive ship with no lights on board passed them, unaffected by the high winds and rough waves. It was briefly lit up by a flash of lightning, and then it was gone, just vanished. A week after this sighting, it was seen again sailing in clear weather, 
But then there was a sudden storm that seemed to only surround the ghost ship. And then out of nowhere, it vanished as the lieutenant watched through a spyglass. He would mention that the windows of the ghost ship and the front section seemed to have been shot out and a fog followed behind it. The letters go on to talk about a story from one of the crew members who claimed that his uncle had encountered the Flying Dutchman and that it could be harmed with a cannonball made of silver. He said that his uncle had actually fired at the ghost ship with a silver cannonball, which had hit in the exact spot where the lieutenant had seen those broken windows. This was like a werewolf. You can hit it with uh, silver artillery. Yep. Interesting. Remember that in the werewolf episode we did? I don't know why it always sticks out to me, but when they thought that you could get that silver knife or that blade and just hit someone on the forehead with it, that was a cure for being for being a werewolf. And it wasn't like a small blade. It was like a fucking like dagger. Just hit someone on the forehead with it. Bam, you're cured. <laughs> Your shit's all split open. <laughs> but you're not like it anymore. You need like 40, 50 stitches. You're like, damn, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not liking this one bit. <laughs> Do you guys know what? I don't remember any of that, but that's hilarious. <laughs> Do you guys know what the favorite food of an Australian pirate is? <laughs> What's that? Shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, it sounds accurate. Can't argue that, right? <laughs> you cannot. It's weird that these letters weren't talked about until 1915, but John Mudd said that he had seen something that scared him so bad that he couldn't show the letters to the world until years later. Really? <laughs> according, to John, uh-huh. according to John Mudd, when he had first received the letters, he had spent the whole day reading them before going back to his own duties as a midshipman aboard a naval ship. They had been off the west coast of Central America in calm seas at the time, and later on that evening, he was looking at some lightning off in the distance, and he noticed another ship that seemed to be headed directly towards them, but it was completely silent and with full sails, even though there was no wind. As he got ready for this ship to hit them, a lightning bolt struck the ghost ship, and it vanished into thin air. In that quick moment of light from the lightning, he noticed that the front portion of the ship had been shot out, just like the letters from the lieutenant had said. He had also been able to see the cabin lit up, and inside sat a man dressed in old-fashioned clothes and a demonic-looking, quote, massive slippery thing that was not human. Mike has a massive looking <laughs> slippery thing that's almost not human. It's true. I don't know. What can I say? I, I will say that that is a lot to see in one flash of lightning, but usually lightning before you can even process you know, what happened, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's like got binoculars looking at the exact spot and is able to identify you, and photographic memory the whole room. If you're lucky, you might be able to see that there was a person standing That's there. That's right. That is it. I'm suspicious of these. Uh, a little too descriptive here. Eyewitness accounts. <laughs> so no one else aboard saw this ship at all, and he was starting to think that maybe he was just tired and was seeing things. But then this, the ship showed up about a half an hour later. This time, some other crew member saw it too, only for it to just disappear in another bolt of lightning. Okay, corroborating witnesses. All right. 
As for an explanation for the Flying Dutchman, author Frank Stockton suggests that it was the result of Fata Morgana. This is a complex form of superior mirage visible in a narrow band right above the horizon, and the name translates to Morgan the Fairy because people believed that the mirages were fairy castles that were floating in the air or fake islands manifested by witchcraft to lure sailors to their deaths. Some of those illustrations of Fata Morgana stuff, they're really cool. Like Google those and, and, and so you can actually see what we're talking about. But it looks like there's, you know, ships up in the clouds and ships in the horizon that aren't there. It's kind of neat. I could definitely see that being mistaken for some of oh, those. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's what a lot of this is. Probably a lot of rum and whiskey, too, going on, right? Like <laughs> There might be some of that. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. My walk homes from here some nights, uh, you know, I'm seeing all kinds of shit. <laughs> and food with no preservatives and you yeah. know, all kinds of things at play there. Right. On the ship that you've been on for three months with no, you know. Vaginas. <laughs> Is that what you're going to say, that, Dave? That too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you finish that rum barrel, right? Then holes is holes. <laughs> that rum comes out of somewhere. Go ahead and fuck that barrel. <laughs> if it's your thing, careful for the splinters. I'm sure they don't have Vaseline or lubricant going on up that on the, uh, no, the K, ship. no KY in the old, uh, I don't know. On the old ships. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what you, I'm sure they came up with something before they fucked a barrel of rum. Chicken intestine lube or something. There you go. See, now you're thinking. That's how you do it. About this explanation, Frank Stockton wrote, quote, The news soon spread through the vessel that a phantom ship with a ghostly crew was sailing in the air over a phantom ocean and that it was a bad omen and meant that not one of them should ever see land again. The captain was told the wonderful tale and coming on deck, he explained to the sailors that this strange appearance was caused by the reflection of some ship that was sailing on the water below this image, but at such a distance they could not see it. There were certain conditions of the atmosphere, he said, when the sun's rays could form a perfect picture in the air of objects on the earth, like the images one sees in a glass of water, but they were not generally upright, as in the case of this, this ship, but reversed, turned bottoms upward. This appearance in the air is called a mirage. He told the sailor to go up to the foretop and look beyond the phantom ship. The man obeyed and reported that he could see on the water below the ship in the air, one precisely like it. Just then, another ship was seen in the air, only this one was a steamship and was bottom upwards, as the captain had said these mirages generally appeared. Soon after, the steamship itself came in sight. The sailors were now convinced and never afterwards believed in phantom ships. Jin jin. Well, that didn't pan out well for you, Dave, the way you were trying. <laughs> you want to give it another shot? Ready? Hold on. Jin jin. I don't have that one. You said you had it last <laughs> week. Did he not say that? I thought so. You told me you had it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wait, do I not sound exactly like it? Ready? Chun, chun. Which one's me? Chun, chun. <laughs> chun, chun. <laughs> Can I pee real quick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think mine's the best. I don't know. Anyways. Okay. So he had him convinced it was a mirage. 
or they're, you know, seeing something, you know, in the, I, I'm not sure if I believe his exact description, but I, I, you know, I think they were seeing something that wasn't there. Something. Their mind was playing tricks on them. The visuals are cool. Like the thought of what the flying Dutchman would look like sailing past with all these mm-hmm. ghosts on it. You know, there's not much concrete proof on the, the flying Dutchman. Uh, no, it's probably not even a real ship. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> I'm, I'm skeptical, skeptical of all these. Yeah. Can I throw one more in though? That is yeah. an actual verified real ship. Sure as hell can. Cause I, cause I've seen, I've seen shows on this. It's called the SSB Chimo Bay Chemo. And this is a ship that was, uh, hit, the, the crew abandoned it in 1931. It got trapped in pack ice up near Barrow, Alaska. So that's a, the, the, the top of Alaska where that movie 30 days a night is. Okay. And so they weren't able to get the ship out, but this ship has been sighted just floating around Alaska like multiple times since 1931 the last sighting was in 1969, but various people have boarded it over the years. No one's ever been able to salvage it or get it out of where it was. But they just see it floating down the coast of Alaska. There's sighting after sighting after sighting over that 30, almost 40 year period. I think it's pretty neat. Like it's an actual ghost ship. There's no, right. it's verified. It's not legend. It's, it's just an empty ship that it's floats down around. the coast of Alaska. It's probably sunk at this point because 69 was the last sighting. But I read that the, the Alaskan government undertook some sort of project in 2006 to figure out if it's still around. So I think that's still ongoing, but I don't know. That's like a legitimate. So, yeah, that's a real. Ghost that's a ship. real ghost ship. It's just floating around because no one could you know haul it in because the kind of neat. The Joyita was just I mean, it was found like that, but it was restored and sold again after mm-hmm. all that. That's interesting. Restored and sold. Do you put that back out in the water in or no? Uh, no, even though it's not like know. a mock, it's the same bow just restored. No, no, it's tempting fate. Yeah. Like, I, like I wouldn't okay. buy a car if someone was killed in it. That's okay. like Christine. What's that? Stephen King. The, uh, the, what was that? A 55 uh, Chevy, the Christine car fucking kill you. I don't know if it's a 55 Chevy. <laughs> Are you Christine, Stephen, Fain, Stephen King fanatics? I apologize. Di- I don't know what the exact car is. I have not never dived into Stephen King. <laughs> His books are hard to read, at least for me. Some of them are. I've read The Dead Zone is probably my favorite Stephen King book from way back when. I just thought there's a really, you'd like The Dead Zone, Mike. It's an interesting story. Okay. Kind of some politics in there and stuff. I would like that. That's I'm always not, been I'm my not, I'm just not always going for the spooky or the, uh, the creep. Yeah. That's always um, been my favorite. I've always, I've tried to read the stand numerous times, like a thousand pages. Yeah. I've never been able to get through that. I tried to read the shining yeah. and I'm like, I, it's a, it's a lot sometimes. Are they just not as interesting to keep your attention or is it just it's a lot of words? Yeah. He'll do like a whole chapter just describing one little thing that you could probably wrap up just as good. In half, I don't really have the attention span yeah. anymore. To I'm getting I better like simpler with it. stuff. Yeah, I get that, and also because it's like <laughs> you don't have time to read, and then when you finally have free time, like sometimes you're just exhausted. Like you just want to throw on like The Office and zone out and fall asleep or relax. And like, even in books, I just want to be entertained. I don't. I just. Yeah. I don't have the capacity to. I'm currently to at, read stuff like that anymore. On page three hundred and one. 
of a 780 page Theodore Roosevelt biography. And this is just part one of three books. This doesn't even get us to the presidency. Nope. The Edmund Morris series, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on. I would zone out. I would be thinking about it's all really kind of well. It's shit. well written. It's really well written. I've read some presidential biographies recently that have been pretty dull. This one's very good. I do not have that in me anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm loving it. I just don't have much time to read. So yeah. when I do finally get to, like, I have to be focused and ready, and like, I shut my phone off or just put it away, and mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, let's dive in. And then I get into it, and I'm like, yeah, let's fucking read. You know, fifty. You know. 100 pages or something but it's i don't know it's exhausting i I when you when you get the free time you don't want to necessarily just sit there and look at words get it yeah no not any well that's like half my my life or my job now yeah right but reading for you is now work yeah my favorite book series ever is the jack reacher novels i've read all 25 whatever number there are and they made those two movies with Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher. Mm. Jack Reacher is described as a six foot five, <laughs> 250 pound, you know. Meanwhile, Tom Cruise is five foot six. And so when they cast Tom Cruise, like, what the fuck is this nonsense? <laughs> movies are terrible. If you could cast Jack Reacher right now, who, who would you do? Well, the Amazon Prime series starts Friday and it's based on the book Killing Floor, which was the first Jack Reacher novel. And the guy who they cast as Alan Richson is his name. And he's kind of the embodiment of what you picture Jack Reacher, the character to look like. So So they got it right. Very excited to watch that Friday. So your compliments to the casting director. Absolutely. Well, very until you see this guy act, you don't know. The previews are fantastic. All right. So I went back and read that first book again last week, and I'm very excited to to watch it. Is the whole first season going to be just the first book? Yes. So they got 25 seasons if they wanted to make a thing of this. Yes. Source material is plentiful. Hmm. If you've never read the Jack Reacher Maybe they'll books, just skip and do the best ones. Highly recommend it. Yeah, that's possible, too. My absolute favorite. Very excited. All right. Anything else on Ghost Ships? No. I know we'll have part two next week. Yeah. But we can we can sum this one up, I guess. Because We're going to talk about the Mary Celeste next week. Mary it's going to be all yeah. Mary Celeste, which is a very interesting story. So that'll be fun. Spoiler alert: I'm not, I know nothing about it. I don't know much. I didn't know about any of these when I thought of ghost ships. I thought of um, the Flying Dutchman, mm-hmm. like sure. those types of things. Sure. But then when you actually like, what is a ghost ship for real? It's really interesting. Yeah. This was this was mm-hmm. a fun show. Watch that movie Ghost Ship this week. It's really good. Uh, plus our movie episode show or uh, movie for the <laughs> movie episode show movie episode that I have to watch. Like that's that's a lot of movies, man. That's well, like four hours of my day. I'm never going to finish this Teddy Roosevelt book. <laughs> ne- neither am I. That makes yeah. two of us. I, I think the way you look at books is how I look at it with movies. Like, oh, I got to commit myself. I don't have the attention span. Like, I got to sit there for two hours and watch this thing. Whereas, like, I'm the kind of person, like, if I put on a show, like The Office, I've seen it a hundred times, and I'm on my phone half the time. I'm watching yeah. half the time. Sure. I'm reading, you know, something half the time. So that's my issue with that. All right. Uh, new patron shout outs. 
Thank you very much to Disastrously Lily. Disastrous Lily. Apologies. I think I misread that. Nicole Davenport, Keegan, Louis De La Cruz, David Randolph, Kylie Abbott, Jessica A., Shannon De La Torre, Rob McLaughlin, Joanne, Kenneth Wall, John G., Maddie Hemberger, Kendra Hornbrook, Keeley, Jordan Heath, Reason Higster, Megan Patton, Sebastian Madison, Rhino, Canned Spaghetti is Best, Jeffrey Beamenderfer, Kaylee Kruger, Martin Patter, Nathaniel Teller, Kayla Iverson, Xavier, Anthony, Mike Namapod likes to give Dave Namapod Blumpkins. Not true. <laughs> Rachel <laughs> I Lang. Wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Lang, Cole Larson, Kara Jenkins, Owen Earp, Edward. Mike, if you read this, you owe me a sad hand job. Well, you'd give him a happy hand job anyway, right? Not a sad one. You'd like he'd be enthusiastic. He'd play with the balls, right? Oh, well, what level tier patron are they? <laughs> Lori, Christopher Claude McLaughlin, Allison Lee, Red Ouser, Lint Liquor 26, Samantha Nodes, Dylan Yates, Elizabeth O'Neill, Jason Lopez, Allison DeSimone, Mariana Holy, Mark Morris, Jonathan Helfrick, Megan de Oliviera, and Clay Overby. Thank you all very much. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I've one for Town Noob, Hannah, Annie, Dungeon of Siege, Sixlav 1.0, Nelson 04, Winter Lee 93, Nikki Margaret, Cheyenne Manley, A Corona 69, and CC Rider 6381. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, what do you got? I don't have anything. All right. Check out Ghost Ships this week. I'm going sure. to rewatch it myself. Movie pick of the week? Ghost Ship. All right. Anything else we got, guys? We good? Nope. We're good, man. Let's see what the storm's doing outside. Yeah, I'm going to go home. So. I think we got a couple Beep. hours until it's supposed to actually get bad. It's supposed to be, what do we say, at midnight, it's supposed to start snowing, and then that's when it's going to finally dip below freezing temps there's a lot of built-up water out there so i think depending on how quickly it gets cold there's going to be uh which i think it's at midnight or by 3 a.m it's going to quickly be freezing i think there's gonna be a big sheet of ice under all the roads and uh yeah. possibly some power outages tonight hopefully no power outages i don't like power outages i'm gonna go home and charge everything now that you guys got me all worked up about it just to make sure i'm uh safe even when the internet goes out, I feel like it's a power outage. Like, I still have lights and shit. Yeah, I don't love it. Yeah, when the internet goes, I'm like, well, I'm fucked. Yeah, what are you going to do now? How about yeah. you guys read a fucking book? How about that? <laughs> huh? No distractions then. They're like, brum, 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 brum. I'm distracted. Yeah. <laughs> Having thumb wars with people. <laughs> I, really, I mean, you just drink, right? Look at the wall and drink. I guess. We should get generators. Really, we probably should for at least. A we studio. really should. Like, yeah. what if it's out for an extended period of time? I had an outage a couple of years when I uh, moved up into the city a couple of years ago. It was a tran- lightning hit a transformer like a house away, and the electric. It was in the summer. It was like you know ninety five degrees. The electric was off for 
five, six days. Yeah. My, like, my, I don't even know what you do. I had a family member that was a couple years ago. She was without, um, without power for like four or five days. Yeah, like what do you do? Yeah. She said that she was going fucking crazy. Yeah, it's horrible. Especially when your air conditioner's on. Yeah. Oh, like I couldn't the stay there. It was horrible. The worst. Yeah, I can't. I can't do that. That power outage shit. So hopefully my power is on tonight. We should get generators. What if we have to do? What if the show? You know, can't leave people hanging. What if the power's out? I, I agree. We probably should come up with something for that. At least we'll get me a generator over here. So, <laughs> well, I mean, for the studio. Yeah, for sure. that's, what I mean. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Obviously, it'll be paid for by Cooldown Media and used for only Necronomapod purposes. Oh, yeah. I won't turn my air on. Yeah, of course in, in not. In non-show times. No. Well, that would be dishonest. <laughs> All right. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, Amazon.com, search Necronomapod. Um, for all of our clothing merch, we are going to be having new stickers on the website um, here soon. That's still uh, in the works, but there's going to be some new designs available for the three packs of stickers. So we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, and then patreon.com slash Necronomapod if you wish to access our bonus content. Thanks. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>